Solongan to the market on 104 Street. This week, City Market announced their move out of the downtown core and into the quarters, which has definitely been redeveloped. And the specter of residential speed limits continues to haunt Edmonton City Council. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 29. We're ramping up into the provincial election season, and we're not going to cover that on this podcast, but Don Iveson sure will. He announced a package of ask about your city. As provincial candidates. Yeah. When you're talking to your MLA and candidates at debate, ask about city issues. And what city issues should you ask about? Well, do we have the podcast for you? <laughs> and we'll start it off with the rapid fire. The city's proposal to implement a lobbyist registry got kicked back for being too overzealous, with councillors raising concerns that anyone that sends them an email or text message could be treated as a lobbyist. Council opted to just watch how the mayor's lobbyist registry works out, which Iveson implemented as a campaign promise, and see if it's inundated with citizens misclassified as lobbyists. On an unrelated note, if you have any feedback about Speaking Municipally or just want to send us pictures of your pets, send an email to don.iveson at edmonton.ca. The Hotel McDonald proposed a renovation of their Confederation Lounge, which sparked ire in Edmontonians. While the hotel promised that it would retain its architectural heritage in the redesign, protesters already started their picket line rallying cries. When asked for feedback, they angrily shouted, No more equalization! Alberta first! Wait. Which confederation are we talking about? With a funding announcement from the federal government, the entire Mill Woods to West Edmonton Mall Valley Line is now fully funded. Uh, some design work remains to be done and a contractor must be selected, but construction is expected to begin in 2020 on the West portion. This announcement of several billion dollars of funding commitments comes after Councillor Mike Nickel went on his Facebook internet show and called the Valley Line the, quote, worst business decision in the history of the city. The councillor can be excused for his mistaken comments because he, like everyone else in the city, has never used the Edmonton Smart Travel app that the city spent a quarter of a million dollars building. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This week we're telling you about Overdue Fines, which is a podcast presented by the Edmonton Public Library. It's hosted by Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land. They discuss movies, music, books, you know, pretty much anything popular culture and media that you can think of, things you can get at the library, and probably some stuff you've never heard of. You'll learn more about what you can find at the library, of course. Uh, the podcast comes out every two weeks, and you can find that at epl.ca slash podcast. It's weird that they're advertising overdue. Isn't the like, least pleasurable experience of a library <laughs> just getting late fines on a book? I love when you like put the book down and the, the machine like makes that loud dinging noise to let everyone around you know that you have a, a fine. <laughs> I can't say I've experienced that because I'm a responsible citizen of the... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I noticed somebody else had that. Hey, we have a podcast to do. First topic of the week, City Market on 104. Taproot broke the story. Hard-hitting right. journalism. So, like, tell us about that. Taproot doesn't normally do scoop journalism or just this happened. What was the story there? Right. Yeah. It's really important to us to try to focus on how and why and not to tell you who, what, when and where, because there's lots of places to do that. Uh, but one of the things we do, as you know, is uh, beat reporting. So we pay attention to local topics of interest. We put those into a roundup every single week. In the case of municipal politics, we also do a podcast. Uh, and we know that, you know, through that process of paying very close attention to one single topic, you're just naturally going to come across information that other people haven't. You're going to come across things that are new. And that's what happened in food and 104th Street. So we we had written a story a couple of years ago about 104th Street and the businesses there. 
um, on my blog and my wife's blog, uh, you know, I've been following food pretty closely for a long time in this city. Uh, Mel is also a, a big foodie. He's a member of, she's a member of the Edmonton food council and, and has written a lot about food. And it just so happens that we came across some information about this and, and tried to make a decision. Should we go and do a story about this or should we not, you know, is this a taproot thing to do? Um, and we decided that we satisfy curiosity and a lot of people were curious about what was happening to the market. And there was a lot of curiosity. The Reddit thread got 150 comments of people bickering, you know, all across, coming down on very divisive lines. I was right. surprised how much disagreement. But Cart's a little bit ahead of the horse here. What are people disagreeing about? What happened? Basically, we learned that the city market downtown uh, was going to be moving away from its home on 104th Street, where it's been for the last you know number of years, uh, to a new location. And that was going to happen starting this summer. So in the winter since 2011, they've been inside City Hall. Uh, that's where they are currently. Um, but starting in May, normally, May long weekend, they would be back out on the street on 104th Street. And we learned that they weren't going to be and that they were actually telling vendors to prepare. They weren't going to be returning to 104, that they were looking at a new location. And they told the market vendors this on the weekend in a new building. Uh, well, new to the market, at least. So it's the uh, Great Western Garment Company building, which some people may know is the Red Strap building. It's owned by Gene Dub, and it's on 97th Street and 103rd Avenue. Uh, it looks pretty trashy from the outside, but it's beautifully redone inside. Um, and that's where everybody assumes, basically, that the new building is going to be, though they've not yet signed you know, on the dotted line to make that the new home of the market. So that's what people were talking about. What happens when the 104th Street market moves away from 104th Street? The reason they're wanting to to make the move is because it'll be a permanent year-round indoor space, which means they don't have to set up tables every Saturday. They don't have to drive all their stuff in and out. They don't have to deal with the weather and the rain and all that kind of stuff. But that, for a lot of people, is the magic of the market, being outside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I heard this, my first reaction was a bit of lividity. Like, I don't make an effort to go to the downtown market because I'm Southside. I'll, sure. If I'm going to farmer's market, I'm going to the Strathcona one. Right. But I've been cycling downtown and suddenly I see this huge road closure right on the bike lane. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get some mini donuts and maybe some strawberries and I'll peruse the market. And it's such a great feeling. And you had spillover from the market. Oftentimes further down 104th Street, you'd have like some sort of concert or beer garden right. or some sort of outdoor event. And I don't know if that spillover still happens. I don't know if those road closure events happen when the market doesn't also close down the street. So my first reaction was, this seems like we've gone through all this effort of revitalizing an area of our downtown, and we have some great livability. 104th Street is a beautiful street with tons of character and tons of vibrant life. And we're like, you know what we should do? Let's just remove some of that life and go put it over here. I don't know, didn't strike me as the best way to celebrate our achievements. The other thing about 104th Street is it has an increasing, a large number and an increasing number of residents, right? People that don't actually need to drive to the market. They can literally take the elevator down to the main floor, walk out the door, and there's the market. But Mac, in the announcement, the new location has free parking. Exactly, a thousand spots of free parking because, you know... Everybody goes for the parking. Uh, you know, we talked in our story, Mel's story, a couple of years ago about this tension on 104th Street. Is it, a, is it a street for residents or is it a street for visitors? And that is one of the things that's behind why some businesses have succeeded on that street and some have not. I think it's a little bit funny that the market, which was one of the early you know, tenants of 104th Street and really helped that street redevelop and, and really come back from the brink, 
is now being forced out partly because of all the popular con- popularity of one of four street and the new construction that's going on, you know, the McKenzie tower, the, the hotel condo tower that hasn't been approved yet actually, but is marketing itself like it has been, you know, those things, those projects, the Fox towers, the, the new Falcon towers further down 104. There's a lot of development activity, not to mention the LRT, which is going to go right down 102nd Avenue, right through the middle of where the market is currently. So the market itself hasn't confirmed this, but one of the reasons that people are speculating that they're being forced to move is because of all this construction work that's disrupting you know, their setup. And honestly, I, I can buy it. You had some of the market people even complaining, like some stands had a big concrete barrier through the middle of their stand where the bike lane was. Right. 102 Ave, it's getting pretty cramped to just close down and have a wide expansive market because it is a vibrant street that has a lot of varied uses. Just I can understand how they might have been outgrowing that space. I'm still going to actively miss them. And it does seem a bit of a weird choice uh, so far east. I, I get that the city is trying to redevelop the quarters but what else are people going over there for right now the redevelopment hasn't happened yet and is the market really going to be what spurs is the market the chicken or the egg is the question i have well it was part of it on 104 if it can be part of something in the quarters then maybe that would be a positive thing if it's going to be all on its own that's a different story, right? And right around there, you've got the Ram, yes, which is brand new, but that side of the Ram is a bunch of ugly loading bays. It's not really the most activated part of the museum. You've got the Reman Center, the old Reman Center, which is probably going to be torn down. You've got the law courts, which need to be torn down. <laughs> um, and then you've got seas of parking lots currently behind it. So, you know, it'll really be the first thing on that corner that is hopefully going to bring some vibrancy to it. But whether or not they can do it on their own or whether we're going to get some other development in the quarters to go along with it is an open question. I'm thinking back to there was a festival held on. I can never remember what that boulevard is right in front of the former Hyatt Place Hotel that they did with a nice brick. Like the armature? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And I remember there was a festival there last winter and it wasn't well attended. I went and it was a fun experience, but I went on Reddit and read about it. And people are saying, well, why is it over there? I have no reason to be over there. I'm not going to make the trek to this walking festival because I'm not walking over there. Echoes of that flooded back into my mind as soon as I heard about the market, which makes me fear that because of those thousand free parking stalls, it might become a commuter destination. And we know the more drivers you put in the zone, the less it becomes hospitable to pedestrians, especially right around that armature area, because that previously used to be a pedestrian and cyclist zone, which a year and a half ago, they opened back up to traffic from Jasper Ave to let more car commuters go through. And now it is not a good cycling facility anymore. So it's it's a give and take. And we'll have to see how the market develops. There's some interesting stuff going on with markets, right? So you've got Old Strathcona, which is partly a commuter destination as well. But they're potentially going to lose their parking, right? When we redevelop that One into a park. One can only dream. Uh, the other thing is there's a brand new market on the south side opening up this year called Bountiful Market. So it's supposed to be a multi-day indoor market as well. So, you know, it's a bit of competition potentially for what the city market downtown is trying to do. And and I guess the other thing to say about it is this is not like this is a new decision for them. They've been looking for a permanent year-round indoor space for a long time. They were snooping around the Mercer building before, you know, Startup Edmonton and everything else went into that building. So, you know, they've long sought a permanent you know, year round home. And so now it seems like either they've been forced into it or they finally decided to make the leap. 
honestly, I can't fault them for wanting to have an indoor space. It's nice to have the market outside for me, probably not so much for the vendors. Yeah, it's tough on the vendors for sure. As a resident of 104th Street and one of the reasons publicly stated that we moved to that street, you know, I'm sad to see the market leave. I think it's a great thing to have on our street. Um, but I know how hard it is for those vendors to get in there in the morning when it's pouring rain or snowing or whatever and blowing and it's rough to be out there all day. So, uh, you know, we'll, it's close enough for us to get to the new location, assuming that's where they end up and we'll still go there and, and shop locally. But yeah, it will change the character of the market. Speaking of enhancing street level vibrancy. So I got a call yesterday morning. We're recording this on Thursday. So it was Wednesday morning. I got a call from Scott Johnston at 630 Ched, and he was asking for some comment uh, about the report coming to city council next week about speed limit reduction. And I'm like, hi, Scott. I'd sure like to see that report. It was the first I'd ever heard of it. Right. Um, And we saw that the reports are not released today, and we'll touch on that. But coming next week to council, it's the speed limit report. And what's predicted to be in the report is an administration recommendation that council lowers the residential speed limit to 40 kilometers an hour. And now this is something I've long campaigned for. In fact, I'm unique in Edmonton, having been the only one to run a successful quote-unquote campaign. Uh, A bit of background history. The city has a policy, it's C566, the speed reduction policy, that basically says if 30% of your neighborhood responds and there's a 67% majority that says we want a lower speed limit, the city will come in and reduce speed limits to 40 kilometers an hour. Just for that neighborhood. Just for that neighborhood. Uh, So in my role as president of the Hazeling Community League several years ago at this point, I did it. Uh, I tried to get feedback from the city and from council of, well, okay, what does this specific mean? It's 30% of what? Like households, residents? They didn't give me any answers. I thought, okay, they don't have their stuff together. I'm just going to do it. Just canvas. Yeah, I knocked every single door in the neighborhood and I figured, okay, if I literally talk to everyone, there's no threshold that I can't meet. And in the end result, I got 70% support with 33% of households responding. Uh, The city later revealed that their threshold was 30% of households responding. So I just eked over there and got there i got there so is that the speed limit today then still because of that oh well mac no the speed limit in hazeline is 50 kilometers an hour Uh, i presented all this data to council to administration and administration's response was hmm that's great we don't know what to do with this Uh, (laughs) we're gonna give you this process but then not actually know what to do yeah so there's a policy c566 that was approved by city council right over half a decade ago it's old it is old city administration and they had said this in a meeting to city council when asked about it they have not developed procedures for implementing this policy so if a resident like myself follows the policy does all the legwork hands it to city administration they say eh, we'll put in a filing cabinet i guess because a policy is a thing of council and a procedure is a document for administration yeah a policy is a statement of values of direction from city council and it's directed so that city administration does it in this case administration didn't do it and in the ensuing this was all happened about two years ago in the ensuing two years administration has made no effort to actually do it uh a couple of the excuses that were given is well if we just lower the speed limits everywhere 
we won't have to deal with Troy. Uh, <laughs> that would be one way to solve that problem. And this is what the discussion came back to council last year when speed reduction initially came to council. And right. it wasn't an emphatic push from administration, but the report sort of was leaning towards a speed reduction in residential neighborhoods. And council said, you know what? No, we're going to pull back. This is too politically feisty. We're not sure about 40 or 30. Go back, do some more expansive consultation. And in a year, we'll talk about this again. I think I remember talking to you about this at the time. And didn't I say something like two steps forward, one step back? Mm, that sounds like something you would have said. Right. I feel like this this is what's happened with speed limits and, and uh, playground zones and all this kind of stuff. Like we've always gone and made a, a bold move to go forward at least a couple of steps. And then we've walked it back somehow. And it felt like that's what council was doing. So I, I'm glad to hear that it's coming back. Do you think we'll go forward, though? <laughs> so I will be speaking to council about this and emphatically recommending that they move forward. I guess you have to read the report like everyone yeah. else. And that's the other half of this discussion is we haven't seen the report. I'm speculating and going off what I've heard from a few sources that it will be recommending 40. Okay. But I haven't seen the report. No counselor has seen the report. The only people that have seen the report are internal city administration people, and they're doing a press release. It's tomorrow morning, Friday morning. Yeah, so usually when the reports or the agendas are posted on Thursday, all of the reports are available, except for, you know, the odd reason that one of them's delayed. But in this case, I'm pretty sure it's held back because they've announced a press conference to talk about residential speed limits for Friday morning. I'll admit I'm very frustrated. And we were sitting in a co-working space and I said, OK, well, let's email a couple counselors, see if they have secret access and they can give it. Right. No, the counselors, they don't, get it. they don't get it either. And I can understand because... As a reporter in this city, you see a report about speed limits, you're going to read that report and you're going to send it to David Staples and he's going to write a column about it. I can appreciate the city's desire to get out in front of that and make sure they are the first ones to output a message about this. So just on the media advisory, what it says is uh, working together towards Vision Zero. 2018 update. So it doesn't actually talk about the speed limits report, but I'm guessing that it's related. Yeah, which is very interesting because the Vision Zero report was released. Uh, it wasn't held back. There was another development, though, maybe we should just talk about first sure. somewhere else in Canada, right? About speed limits. Do you think that'll have an impact? Yeah. So Montreal, uh, which is a Vision Zero city, Calgary, right. we mentioned, is not a Vision Zero right. city, still bidding us as a Vision Zero. Montreal, actually a Vision Zero city. Montreal uh, changed their speed limits just uh, last week or so. Uh, residential areas became 30 kilometers an hour and main streets became 40 kilometers an hour. That's some leadership from Montreal. And now frequently when I because I've talked to council about speed limits several times and in my speech, I always say something like be leaders, be innovators, show that you can really bring Edmonton forward and show Canada what we're made of. My comments are going to be look, you guys aren't leaders anymore. Can you be begrudging followers? <laughs> if Montreal can do it, come on. And that is what I think can possibly push this forward. I think right. without Montreal, I don't think there's any way these speed limits get lowered. Uh, just the political will on council, I don't know if it's there. Uh, we have specific communities like Strathcona getting redesigned for 30 km an hour speed, but you have counselors like Ben Henderson. Sure, he's on board. Don Iveson, it's hard to gauge, but he's probably on board. But then you have a smattering of counselors. Counselors like Tim Cartmel, 
he's very much an engineering guy. And he says, well, speed limit doesn't do anything. We need an engineering solution. Mike Nickel is, we're not going to get value for dollars for these signs. There's no way that's happening. Yeah. John D from Ward 3 thinks residential neighborhoods should be 70. So this is actually next week at committee, right? Not Mm -hmm. full council. And the chair of the committee is... Sarah Hamilton. I have no idea. We've talked about this before, and we don't have any sense of where Sarah Hamilton stands on anything. Her comments to uh, 630 Chat or Global or whatever, they're both the same now, I guess, online. Uh, It's timely because a year ago we punted it, as you said, but this is bigger than that. She says it's coming back because of the budget implications. Theoretically, if I had done the consultation, it was free. They wouldn't have said, yeah, okay, Hazeldean is 40 now. Right. But there's a budgetary implication because of how the Alberta Traffic Safety Act is worded and the city's interpretation of that, if you change a speed limit from the default, you need to put up a sign on every block. Right. So that equates to, depending on who you talk to, roughly thirty to $50,000 per neighborhood for a lot of signs. And that that's a budget implementation. If you want to do this citywide, we're looking at a couple million dollars in signs. If we're talking about reducing the speed limits... It needs to be funded rather than just a policy change. She also indicated that there's maybe some other reports on traffic safety and road safety coming. Yeah. So next week coming back, it's it's going to be traffic safety week at Community and Public Services Committee. We've got an update on playground zones, which you'll recall city council decided to remove a bunch of them. Yep. We have the Vision Zero annual report saying Kumbaya, we're the best Vision Zero city in Canada. Uh, we have the residential speed limit. And we also have the community traffic management that's program right. that's coming back. And now the CMTP, that is the one that's supposed to be addressing the procedures for Hazeldean and addressing city policy c566 it's not there's no progress forward on 566 in fact they passed a new policy c590 about a year ago and it looks like that's just going to supersede c566 so this entire policy about speed reduction that i did this consultation and work for it looks like the plan is just going to be nah we're going to expunge this from history well it could be a step toward lower speed limits across the board it could be uh so The things to look for next week, it's going to be a political fight. There's a possibility that committee just says, we're punting this whole thing right up to council because it's going to be a debate. I expect we'll see the full council at committee anyway, because this is a big issue and everyone's going to want to get their two cents of grandstanding in. But that's that's all we really have on that this week. Again, More to come. Yeah, we, because again, we're shooting in the dark. We don't have the reports, but we do have a couple other interesting tidbits that we thought we'd throw in. So this week, Edmonton City Council approved $800,000 for a new program. And what was that, Mac? That was Animal Protection Services. So you recall at the beginning of February, the city took over enforcing the provincial legislation on this from the Edmonton Humane Society, who said they didn't have enough money to do it. And administration brought a report to council and said, look, if we're going to do this, it's going to cost this much money. Here are some options to fund it. And council basically said, okay, without debate. <laughs> yeah. So there's not a lot to break down here, but there's a couple of things that stuck out. Firstly, the no debate thing right um eight hundred thousand dollars depending on your perspective is either a lot of money because if you had 800 grand you could buy some good stuff hello vegas it in the grand <laughs> scheme of city budgets it's sort of small it's but small yeah for an individual brand new program that they had no plans to have before that's a it's like not a chunk of change to scoff at so you'd expect there to be at least some discussion about it 
And it adds on to the deficit that they had for 2018, right? They're bringing that forward. They're bringing this program forward. Like these things start to add up against the 2019 budget. On the other hand, what was council going to do? Yeah, well, that's what Mayor Don Iveson said. He said, we really don't have a choice. He said, animal welfare is clearly a priority for all Edmontonians and our council. So we've got to absorb the impact of the Humane Society backing out of what they were doing. End quote. And let's be real. The Humane Society... I'm not sure if it's a charitable organization or a nonprofit organization. It's one of the two. Or why, both. Yeah. Yeah. Why are they enforcing provincial laws? Why does that fall to the Humane Society to do? That that strikes me as odd that this was ever just kosher. I think we just should have had the peace officers and police officers doing, doing this. that job. Yeah, I don't know the history of that and how it came about. I suspect it's one of those things that had always been done. And so they just started to give them money to keep doing it. But you're right. It is kind of bizarre. It should be a city job. Yeah. Well, and even it might be a provincial job. It's a provincial law and regulation. Maybe it's something that the RCMP should have been doing. Definitely jurisdictionally, the Humane Society, not the best choice. And now the second half of this is the city of Edmonton had been giving a grant to the Humane Society every year. They're going to try and claw back some of that money. Right. We're going to see how that goes. I suspect that might be a bit of a political hard fight because you're clawing money away from a shelter and that's just not a way to get good press so we'll see if we recoup some of this eight hundred thousand dollars from our grant money or if it's just tax levy new funding or maybe a couple of extra dollars on your pet licenses that was another option that administration talked about i want to close with one other financial item we had uh, the act fund provided 90 million dollars for transit projects in the city of edmonton so that's things like upgrading stadium lrt station a new transit garage a new electric buses and planning and design for other transit facilities and terwilliger drive terwilliger drive the alberta <laughs> community transit fund is giving us 24 and a half million dollars to turn terwilliger into an expressway I guess because there's buses that are going to go down there, it seems like a real stretch. I had read this and was scratching my head at it and kept looking back at it. I'm like, can I figure this out? This week, I think you had Councillor Cartmel saying... I love his quote. He said, we're going to get a fairly significant amount of funding to support the transit and active transportation component on that expressway. So good times, good days. I don't have anything else to say about this other than Torliger Drive is a bad idea. We'll digress a little bit into provincial land where Brian Mason, there's an election coming up. Buying votes via roads is a good strategy. So you just have provincial and federal politicians walking into town saying, you get a road and you get a road. Uh, This week, Calgary got Deerfoot Trail upgrades, uh, widening that road in addition to widening the Anthony Henday, Torliger Drive. St. Albert had an upgrade recently announced. Yeah, it makes you wonder. We put all this money in the carbon levy to reduce emissions, and then we're going into debt to build bigger roads. A little bit of a question mark there. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's all we have time for this week. Uh, We're going to have probably a pretty big week next week. There's speed limits, and oh boy, will Troy have things to say about that. Fares are coming back. The transit fare policy uh, report is coming back next week. So you're not going to want to miss that episode. Transit heavy. You might even uh, hear an interview with Mayor Don Iveson 
what you're going to hear right now is about We Are Alberta by ATB. It's a podcast hosted by ATB economist Nick Ford. It's a monthly podcast that explores Alberta's geography, businesses, and organization, and it's diverse and fascinating people, all through an economic lens. Our recent episodes look at mining Bitcoin, mint farming, and drone testing. Real technology there. Wow, and using a podcast too. ATB, they're hip with the kids. They, they know how to use that tech. <laughs> you can read more and subscribe at atb.com slash wearealberta. Tapper Edmonton just launched our food roundup. So if you liked the 104th Street story and you want to know more about what's going on in local food, you should definitely subscribe to the new food roundup. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.